Have you noticed that politicians struggle to enact the things they run on? That regardless of who wins elections, they find that they cannot pass whatever legislation they like. They find themselves uh, bound by a narrow set of ideas, on, and that range is called the Overton Window. And on the Overton Window podcast, we look at issues around the country and talk to the people who change what is politically possible. Now, elected officials at every level feel the need to do something about jobs, and that if they do, they're on the easy street to re-election. And there is one particular type of project that piques lawmakers' interest, the spectacle. It's the convergence of something that gets a lot of attention and something that sounds at least plausibly economic. And thus, over 30 states now pay for a chunk of a film's expenses if they shoot their movie in, a, in the state. Now, this doesn't produce broader economic benefits, and it is a waste of money. Uh, but when legislators are taking it up, who will argue against it? Well, I do, uh, but I'm not alone in this either. There's a cross-ideological group of people who see through the promises made by the film industry when arguing for their favors, and we're joined today by two of them. Uh, Greg Leroy and Jacob Witten are at uh, Good Jobs First, and they join us to talk about this issue. Uh, Greg and Jacob, welcome. Nice to be with you, James. Why are you guys against film and subs or film subsidies? They make no sense. And we should say it's not just film production. It's also TV shows and advertising and now digital games. It's proliferated to lots of different kinds of media production. So you know, calling them film production tax credits is, is a bogus name. Uh, here's why. Uh, so you say, okay, we're going to give you a credit. Again, I'm putting air quotes on that. Uh, worth 30% or whatever of the amount of money you spend in our state making a movie. And, and, but the trouble is that's so completely over the top huge, uh, compared to other kinds of economic development incentives that most companies would never be able to absorb that. Right. Uh, first of all, you know, Hollywood, so we're talking about corporate income tax credits here. Hollywood is famous for its funny bookkeeping, right? Which can turn blockbuster movies into losers or marginally profitable companies at that. But then, you know, Michigan would only get a small sliver of any national profits of a movie, right? It would only get those profits that would be apportioned to Michigan based on the number of screens and screenings uh, that the film showed on in the state. So 30% of their costs when profits are a tiny sliver of costs means that the value of the credits uh, is so huge that they they can't they could never begin to soak them all up. They could never they're they're hundreds of times more maybe uh, than the income tax liability the company would ever have it for years and years and years and decades and centuries in Michigan. Hmm. So they make them transferable. They say, "Well, you can actually sell those credits to a company like a bank or an auto company or a retailer that actually does owe some corporate income tax in Michigan, and that way." The film production company gets cash in the pocket and the Walmart or the bank or whoever gets the dollar-for-dollar um, dollar reduction in their corporate income tax bill. That's what happens at the end of the day with these things. Yeah, Jacob. Uh, uh, Jacob and I recently testified on this issue in the Michigan legislature. Uh, you had some interesting stats about the who actually collects those transferable tax credits. Uh, yeah, and absolutely. Uh, um, you know, for one, I'll just say it's actually quite difficult to get this information. And 
you know, we at Good Jobs First have been regularly foying uh, for it from uh, the state of Illinois uh, and its uh, film tax credit program. And so that's that's the best data we have available. And between 2014 and uh, 2021, 98% of the $540 million in credits awarded uh, were ultimately sold to someone other than the original recipient. 60% uh, were sold to just five companies, U.S. Bank, Walmart, Comcast, Verizon, and Bank of America. All right. So the idea that uh, you often hear that, that, well, these are tax credits, and so government's not really out anything. This isn't money we could have been allocating to other purposes because if we didn't offer the incentive, you know, the production, the taxable economic activity wouldn't wouldn't exist. It's ridiculous. You know, Walmart is not operating in the state of Illinois because they have a film tax incentive. Uh, so we we really do have to uh, take seriously the um, uh, uh, estimates of of economic impact. Uh, and and weigh those against um, other forms of public expenditure that that we know uh, uh, deliver much bigger bang for your buck. Yeah. So um, what, what both Greg and Jacob are talking about is like the, um, a lot of these tax credit programs or the, these film subsidies they come in the guise of these tax credit programs that have absolutely nothing to do with what a film production crew actually owes in taxes. It's not about letting them pay less in taxes. It's about giving them taxpayer cash because they get these uh, uh, these tax credits and then the state policy allows them to sell it to other taxpayers in, in the state. So the payments, the cash that the company receives is now laundered through someone else's taxes. And that is weird. Uh, and as Jacob says, they're not your standard companies. This is not your mom and pops. This is uh, a film produces a, a movie in Michigan and all of a sudden Walmart or um, our, our utility company or other people now receive a benefit from that. That's strange. Shouldn't happen. But it does happen for a reason. And one of those reasons is that is about the Overton window, which is for whatever reason, either do because it's convoluted or someone can make a plausible case that somehow this benefits the state taxpayers, laundering the money through other people's taxes makes it more politically feasible. Like, why is that? Like, it seems like this is a bad idea that the lawmakers should be able to see through and that a direct grant program of just writing film production companies' checks ought to be a better way to do it. James, it's just kind of the unholy intersection of Hollywood and politics. <laughs> you know, when when Denzel Washington shows up on the steps of Beacon Hill in Massachusetts to lobby for film production tax credits in Massachusetts, people know him as a star, but he's also a producer. Uh, you know, when Kevin Spacey showed up in Maryland to lobby for an extension of the House of Cards film credits, well, he was also a producer of that show. Um, people forget that, the you know, there's very personal, deep financial self-interests involved here. Um, and, you know, that's that's what's going on. And frankly, too many states like Georgia, which is the biggest bankroller of all at about a billion dollars a year now, Georgia doesn't even tell you which movie's got how much money. They don't even disclose the recipients, uh, the production companies or the productions. So it's a complete black hole. And it's the biggest expenditure the state has for economic development now. Um, terrible problem. Terrible policy. So, so they're handing out, our film producers are getting a billion dollars in cash uh, 
through these transferable credits and people can't be told who's collecting them. Why are correct. lawmakers there embarrassed by this situation? I mean, that is that that's awful transparency. Like, and and it's something that everyone knows is awful. Like, they should know how much they're paying these these film producers. Uh, you know, there's certainly people like the George sorry, George you're, you're speechless as I am about this situation. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Go ahead, Jacob. No, I, I, I mean, seems like you had uh, initial follow-up comment. You know, I would just say, James, that uh, you know, I think our situation we're dealing with here in in Michigan uh, goes to show why this, tran- you know, using the, the transferability mechanism uh, is so attractive. You know, the last iteration of the the film subsidy program here in Michigan was a direct grant program, and it was horribly evaluated and very difficult to defend relative, you know, benefits relative to costs and. So now they're rolling out this this new version modeled on, you know, what what is now common practice in other states and sort of kind of putting lipstick on a pig, so to speak, and trying to sell it as as sort of the new and improved version when, you know, as we know, the the ultimate results uh, are, are going to be exactly the same. All right. So let's talk about this issue. We've got over 30 states that offer film subsidies right now. The 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 coalition to pat to get um uh to get subsidies to film tv and other media production have been pretty successful at taking their show on the road and convincing state lawmakers to give them money why uh, so and greg you were talking a little bit about um why like they brings they do bring something they bring celebrity to the table they bring a coalition of people who are affected they've got constituents that are going to be arguing about why it's a good benefit uh gonna uh, be a big big benefit for them but what why is this such an attractive thing to lawmakers i just think it's it's very high profile you know in um, somebody once said for a company if you have a big name you can play a big game you know (laughs) if you're a it's true in tech if you're microsoft or apple or amazon you you know what governor or mayor doesn't want to stand next to your executive at a groundbreaking ceremony or issuing a press release with you in the same way hollywood has a glitz and a glamour to it that uh, people think you know it'll rub off it's magic it's magic dust um look we're not against incentives to help promote people making films in michigan let's be clear and certainly there are lots of artistic people in michigan and lots of talented people doing all kinds of artistic media in Michigan, the ways to foster that have to do with like your university arts programs and your museums and your cultural venues and your natural assets and your, your beautiful state parks, you know, and you can do things to make those things easy and attractive for people to incorporate in their films and use them as settings and, and script settings and so on. That, that's the long-term way to, you know, because it's tied to tourism. Some states see their film strategies tied to tourism, right? They think if, well, if moviegoers see this beautiful state uh, in a movie, they'll they'll come uh, visit us on their vacation. Well, and that's not wrong. I'm sure there's a little bit of rub off in some cases. Well, so, and, and tourism is an important industry in Michigan. There's no doubt about that. But there's lots, lots and lots of other ways to promote tourism besides throwing money at people in California. 
And I, I would uh, I would only add, you know, we we heard so often at, at, at the hearing, James, uh, about this is a, a way to attract and retain young young workers specifically. Um, and yet again, there there seems to be a lack of appreciation for the impact uh, relative to alternative ways to to pursue that objective. Right? Do we really think this is the best way? To attract young people to the state, or maybe improving the K twelve education system—something we know that is, a, you know, is decisive when people are making decisions about where to live. Uh, maybe that's the best way to to actually revive population group, growth among among young young people in Michigan. Yeah, Jacob, that always bothered me too because, um, you know, if there are performance goals for film subsidies, you can put those into statute. You can require them. You can evaluate how well they're accomplishing their goals of even if it's a matter of attracting young people like you can require reporting you could see how well you're doing this and when you're saying this is going to be a primary benefit in committee when it's when the bill doesn't actually require that it just seems fake fabricated that you're not taking your own argument seriously because you can put that in statute if if the point of this of film subsidies is to attract young people, you can ensure that film subsidies don't go out if it's not producing the desired effect. But it's not. It's about handing out subsidy checks to preferred people, which is why the bill hands out subsidy checks to preferred people and doesn't require um, uh, them to to attract young people. Um, but I guess I want to ask the converse of, uh, of, of that last question, which is, What's it going to take to end these film subsidies? I mean, a number of states have. Um, why? And what, 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 what? And you all have too. <laughs> yes, yeah. You all in Iowa used to have the two most lavish rates of credits in the country, uh, approaching 50% for some productions in Iowa and in the 40% range for Michigan. Um, two things happen. You had a budget crunch, which some states do, and then, and they, selectively get rid of wasteful programs when they have budget crunches. It's hard hard lesson to learn, but you have to do it sometimes. And in your case, you also had a scandal, right? You had a- A, a couple of them. A convicted felon, yeah, who, who appeared on stage with then Governor um, uh, Granholm uh, and, you know, kind of, you know, debased the program, put it politely. Uh, and certainly that's been true in some other states as well. When you- subsidize a film that grossly, you attract scoundrels, you attract zombie films, you attract scammers, uh, because you're taking all the risk out of the business. Um, that's it. You're, it's just, it's just baked into the structure of uh, giving away that much easy money. You're, you're, you're inviting fraud. Yeah, I think that's, that's right. Um, I also think that this is one of the, um, one of the problems that the coalition for film subsidies kind of uh at least the way that it's structured is we get everyone together who's going to benefit we argue uh f uh uh two legislators of how great this uh, this thing is we get them a lot of attention but once you get the program for the most part you go home which means that you're not there to defend the program so that you know when other people notice that uh the roads you're asking to raise taxes but you're writing out big checks to big hollywood producers that doesn't seem right you know it builds up pressure against it and that coalition's not there to defend their programs at least as much anymore to the same degree they do when when they're arguing for it and there's a lot of reasons why 
lawmakers should be more skeptical of these programs. Something that, I mean, this is one of the things that I think is an important role that I know I, 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 uh, I provide, and I think you guys do too, which is, you know, once the coalition gets what they want, they go home, but that doesn't mean that uh, what, what they won is a lasting victory. And so to keep up the message alive, to remind people of, of the issues and, and the basic unfairness and ineffectiveness of these subsidies, I think is a way that we can help win this issue over the long term. Uh, so what do you expect? Look, we want to make it clear. We understand a lot of the jobs involved in movie production are union jobs, and we're glad of that. And we know that some unions are, are adamant uh, advocates for these tax credits in various states, and we respect that. But, but here's the problem. You know, uh, it's it's a it's a lose lose game. You know, so California says, oh, we have to defend ourselves and enact a new subsidy, hundred million, then three hundred million. New York says we're only spending four hundred sixty million. Now we have to spend seven hundred million. Georgia has no cap, and it's now at a billion. You know, there's no end of it. Uh, it's a race to the bottom. And every time one state enacts a new incentive, or it it means that every subsequent incentive is less meaningful, is less attractive. You and I don't have more time to watch TV because Hollywood has more dollars to produce stuff for us to watch. You know? Help me out here. We're, we can't... Where's, you know, where's the demand for all this stuff? Yes, we're in a golden age of TV. Yes, it's a wonderful thing. Things are streaming. Media consumption is changing in a way that's creating a lot of demand for it. But what the studios earn it? Why should the taxpayers pay for this? It's it's it's, it's not necessary. Although you bring up Netflix uh, is making out, Amazon's making out. Yeah, you know, I mean, you bring Paramount and Peacock and and Hulu, they're making out. <laughs> Sorry, that's all right. It's all right. Uh, you bring up an interesting point that I hadn't quite uh, considered, which is like, you know, there are some union supporters. Uh, for these programs, and and because they look at it and it's like, look, we're union specialized providing these jobs. We're trying to make it fair for, for workers. But one of the things I think doesn't happen is like when when these states are offering film subsidies, it's not like the union guys are getting paid thirty percent more when taxpayers are paying thirty percent of their film cre- or film films cost. Yeah, um, yeah abs- absolutely. I, I mean. Uh, could be a wage subsidy if it was structured otherwise, uh, but it but it is it is not. Uh, and uh, of course, you know, in in some cases, we're talking about subsidy per job of hundreds of thousands of dollars. I can think off the top of my head in, in the Georgia case. Uh, and yeah, if there are no uh, strings attached associated with with minimum wage requirements, benefit requirements, then you know that that is ultimately. Uh, ending up with with the owners of the company. Yeah. So, I mean, that brings up another issue that I've been thinking about, about film subsidies, which is, I think there's a good case from people on the right about why these are bad ideas. And I know you guys think there's a good case for left-leaning people about why film subsidies are bad ideas. Why isn't this a more partisan issue? Like red states and blue states, both alike, like handing, handing out checks to uh, to film producers. I mean, there's a good case from both the right and the left against it, but uh, when these things kind of get heard, like those part- those kind of partisan view- worldviews just seem to fall by the wayside in um, uh, uh, in the legislative debate. 
Yeah, it's a great example of the whole problem in this whole as debate space about economic development incentive, James. You and I know this well, and we joke about it, right? Those of us on the progressive left and those of you on the libertarian right, we could almost write each other's talking points <laughs> about our criticisms of these programs. It's obvious if, you, if you're intellectually honest and look at these programs carefully, you just can't defend them, right? But it's the squishy middle. It's the centrist Dems and the business Republicans who just can't resist it. It's just catnip. And that's the problem. Yeah. And I mean, I also think that like it's the standard business of concentrated benefits and diffused costs that you see in so many areas of, of public policy, which is like, look, big, important people come to your office, tell you how great of a legislator you are, want you to pass this bill. And it's just tough to tell them no. And you don't hear about the people paying uh, the costs for these favors. I mean, I, I try and help that out. I try and note that there, there are some major problems once you look at the concepts of these things, but it's a tough fight sometimes just because you hear from so many people. I mean, uh, Jacob, you were at the, our, our hearing. Um, you saw exactly how many people were arguing about how great it was that, uh, uh, that you write film producers big checks. Yeah, I, I mean, I noted, of course, that the, the legislation's co-sponsors are both members of this committee, including the chair of the committee. Um, we were treated to a 15-minute introductory <laughs> remarks from lobbyists from the Michigan Film Industry Association, um, and then a, a parade of potential beneficiaries and in support, including, um, you know, a, a young film student who's talking about how much she's, you know, re regretting having to leave the state. Um, in search of search of work in her academic field, um, so you know, I, I, you know, we've heard in the in the past that there's there's resistance sometimes to to providing disclosure um, because the public isn't analytical enough to really know how to interpret um, uh, you know information. But from from what I observed at, at the hearing, uh, it seems like it was in fact lawmakers who were most susceptible to anecdotal influence. Um, and and that we should you know really be trying to to uh, to, to stress the importance of, of yeah uh, taking seriously the evidence we we have when when evaluating good good and bad policy. Yeah, I think that's so. I, I guess how uh, let's say you're a legislator uh, that you're curious. Uh, 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 one of these uh, one of these guys comes into your office. Like, what do you think? Oh, sorry. What do you think a legislator should do when they're, they're approached to ask for uh, favors for some industry? Yeah, another question I would ask, so what happens when the lights go out, right? We know that, you know, productions are transient, right? They last for several weeks or a few months and then they go away, right? They take the film and they go back to, to California or New York, wherever, and do the editing and sound mixing and post-production work. Um, so if you, and, and obviously, so you have to pay more credits to have another production come spend time, you know, buying hotel lights, buying catering food, using services in, in the state to generate ripple effects uh, and employing grips and uh, carpenters and stagehands and makeup artists and all that stuff in your state, you know, making the movies. If you, but the truth is, you know, only a handful of states attract so much production that it 
behooves the studios to start making sort of bricks and mortar investments, right? To start making sound stages uh, and and studios where they expect to keep doing it. And that means that the state has to invest a lot of money over a long period of time to convince Hollywood that there's going to be enough payoffs, <laughs> cash, cash payouts to keep coming back uh, to make those kind of investments. So it's just incredibly expensive uh, bribery situation. You know, in, in economics, this is called rent seeking. That is, you know, we, we say in economic development incentives that incentives almost never determine where companies actually expand or relocate. And that's true for most industries because state and local taxes are such a microscopic cost variable for companies in their calculations and their cost benefit calculations comparing one place to another. But when you when you pay companies cash that is just it's not a discount of their tax expenses or more. It's, yeah. it's a hundred times their taxes. We, you can distort corporate behavior. You can cause so-called rent seeking. And that's that should never happen, especially for a discretionary activity, right? This is entertainment. It's not like you were solving the polio uh, you know, crisis here. We're not, you know, fixing, you know, uh, measles. Uh, we're not, you know, eradicating illiteracy here. We're not meeting some massive public crisis. We're making TV shows and films, you know? It's a discretionary activity. Come on. So I want to talk a little bit about the Overton window on this issue. And I and the way that I look at it is that, like, there is this continuum of, polit of feasibility for... Uh, selective favors to businesses. And I'm like the most feasible side of things, like the easiest thing to get are selective job trading grants. Um, as in like, it's, a, or it's, a, it's an intersection of, you know, community colleges and higher education and, and a, a plausible theory that if you just help people, you know, get some better training, they can improve their incomes in addition to helping businesses find qualified workers. This is on the exact opposite end of, of that, which is, we're paying for these footloose industries. We're paying a huge percent of their expenses. It's something that is ephemeral by itself. There's no chance that it's going to last to a sustainable uh, film industry that, that will exist without it. Um, it. It's all for show. I would think that that's, I mean, I think that that's the least feasible, but you look around the country and all these states have it. Uh, so I guess... Um, uh, my my question for both of you, and I don't mean you uh, mean for you guys to be um, uh, brainstormers for uh, uh, for selective favors, but can you think of anything that would be infeasible if uh, uh, two lawmakers like what is outside of the Overton window, and and when it comes to subsidizing select businesses. I know it's a tough one. So I uh, let me let me put this well, put this one to you just just to get some juices flowing on this is that there's an old economist point that uh, with enough subsidies it makes sense to grow oranges in Alaska. Now, and you would think on the outside at least someone might might think, yeah, uh, if there's someone selling those subsidies uh, to the Alaska legislature, they're going to get laughed out of out of out of office. But I'm not so sure anymore. 
Uh, I would think that subsidizing film production, at least to the extent that they do, like we're not talking about, again, uh, like lowering taxes on film productions or helping them, uh, you know, access uh, 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 trained uh, film professionals. We're talking about giving them massive taxpayer checks. I would have thought that would have been infeasible, but I would have been wrong. So, so is the, is there anything, is there anything that you can think of that might be infeasible? Well, that, not a direct response to, to that, that question, but I, I will just note, um, this, this came up at the hearing as well. Uh, you know, the, um, that at this point, given the extent of film subsidies a- across the country, uh, producers can now demand that production take place in states that that have these programs. And and that has, I, I think, definitely cre- created tremendous pressure uh, on the holdouts, Michigan, you know, in, included. Uh, but I also think, think uh, it points to the importance of coordinated action and, and response on this. Um, you know, it's very difficult uh, to to be the one one state that that sort of dissents. Um, and, uh, you know, this is the kind of the arms race prisoners dilemma mm-hmm. dynamics that are, you know, throughout uh, economic development, uh, uh, the economic development field in the United States. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to imagine uh, uh, whether it's film film subsidies or, or any of the most egregious examples we can, we can think of, um, uh, that, that a- action is, is not going to require cooperation. Yeah. And that's cooperation. That's been tough to come by because I do think that if you, if you got most people together and to take this seriously, no one's really happy about writing these checks to film producers. I mean, they're happy to have their state show up in the credits. They're happy uh, when their constituents run into celebrities at the grocery store. Um, but it's a, it's an immense expense. And I think if if you sat everyone down in the room to to say, look, how how should we do this thing in the future? I think they'd all agree that it's a bad idea. But you can't do that. Uh, and there's got all these other people who are trying to to say, look, take take this to the next level. So that you can have celebrities in your grocery stores and your um, and and your state's name in the credits. So, how optimistic are you about this issue in the fu- uh, uh, for the future? And you know, to the extent we see progress, it's because there are groups digging in. We think disclosure is really important. Uh, so, for example, if and if and when Georgia ever begins to disclose who's getting those credits. And how much and what they're actually doing with them we think there's a good chance they will shrink the state will cap them maybe cap them by production cap them by total spending which should be a, a good thing we certainly know now in the space of the, uh, this new government accounting reform we want called gasby statement 77 that requires local governments cities counties school districts to finally admit and report how much revenue they lose to so-called corporate welfare we know lots of them are now having second and third thoughts about, well, shouldn't we get out of that program or shouldn't we have more of a say when somebody else is eating our lunch and we didn't even know how much of our lunch was getting eaten before now, especially when it comes to school districts. Um, and for, you know, but honestly, history teaches us too that austerity forces states to do 
you know, tough choices, including getting rid of stupid programs. And we also know scandals involve it, whether it's a plant closing scandal or runaway shop or a zombie film or a felon standing on stage with the governor. I mean, um, you know, the sausage gets made in different ways, as we know. Um, and, and this is no different. But look, you know, I have a special place in my heart for Michigan. It's my mother's home state. My, my uncle was in manufacturing. You know, it's a state. I, I spent a lot of my adult life in the Rust Belt next door in Illinois. I've studied a lot of things about automotive industry historically. You know, Michigan has such a proud history of manufacturing. It has so much talent in bending metal and making things. And it's got a bright future continuing to make new electric vehicles and all the machinery and supply chains that go into the new generation of green transportation. You know, that's the future. And that's where your engineering talent should be encouraged to stay. That's where the state should be making the quality of life attractive for people to raise young families and bring young people back to the state because they want to be there, because the schools are good, because there's future job opportunities in making great stuff for the world the way Michigan always has. I, you know, forgive me for waving the flag here for a second and you're bringing the bass brand up over the hill, but, but you know, that's, that's Michigan's place in, in, in America's history. And I hope it, you know, giving away money to Hollywood for, for, you know, discretionary entertainment activities doesn't hold a candle to that, in my opinion. Uh, Greg and Jacob, good luck in your attempts to shift the Overton window. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overton Window, a podcast from the Mackinac Center. Please subscribe and rate. For more, check us out at www.mackinaw.org. That's Mackinac with a C, like the island.